Welcome everybody to episode two of the Leadership Council, where we talk all things leadership. Today I have a special guest. I got the president of Central Matrix, um, Sebastian Van Heideken. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Can't complain. Can't complain. It's Friday, yeah. man. When it's Friday, all good oh, things yeah. happen. So, man, <laughs> yeah. listen, we'll, <laughs> we'll jump right into it, man. So, in your, um, you know, I've been following you for a while on on LinkedIn. I see you always posting tips and tricks, and always trying to help people. Um, and that's what a true leader does. But something on your page kind of struck out to me. Okay. Um, it said revenue operations is an executive function. Can you kind of explain that to me a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the best way to put it is there's two sides of the glass, okay. so to speak. And on one side of the glass, the decisions are being made. And on the other side of the glass, we have to do the work based on those decisions. And I think, you know, revenue operations for a very long time, was on the do the work, you know, we'll call it tactical side of the glass. Okay. Um, whatever the executives or the board say, you just hand that to your CRM guy and they have to build it. Uh, and so my argument is that the CRM guy needs to be in that room when you make your decision because the technology that you're using to make that decision happen, that's in their hands. Uh, and so your decisions have to be filtered through the lens of the technology that you're using uh, or else you're going to fail uh, or you're not going to get as much out of your sales marketing revenue teams as you could. Uh, so really just knocking on the door and saying, hey, I know you're having these meetings uh, and you need to talk to me before you decide anything, basically. OK, OK. So yeah. so explain to the people a little bit what your company does for for organizations. Yeah. So we are uh, outsourced revenue operations consultants. Uh, so we, like I said earlier, we're manager CRM and all of the attached technology. So your marketing, your sales engagement, uh, your data, uh, we'll even dip into the product in some cases. You know, Think of us like an outsourced CRO and okay. their team of people that pull through the work. And so that's really what we're doing is helping people make a buyer journey for their clients that actually makes sense and brings people through the door and gives them a good experience because it's okay. all powered by technology. Okay, so so if I'm thinking about this correctly, you help people get a return on investment for the tech tech stack, right? The things that they Pretty much, yeah. The, the best way to use it. Okay, that's, that's a great way to, to put it. I, I could see how that could be helpful. So, uh, you know, us talking a little bit, the way you described yourself was interesting, right? You said that yeah. she was a SDR turned consultant turned business owner. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of different experiences and wear a lot of different hats. Do you think having all this experience and, and worked in different avenues helped you be a better leader? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, speaking of the other side of the glass discussion, like as an SDR, you are like at all the way at the end of the glass, absolutely. right? You have no decision-making power. Uh, you have no clout within the organization unless you have a huge pipeline sitting on top of you. Uh, and so like, I've been that end user. I've been the Salesforce uh, or the SDR that's raising their hand. That's like, our process doesn't make sense. You know, why are you making me put in this data in this way? That That's not a good idea. Uh, we should be selling to this industry instead of this industry. And so I've been on that end where, you know, folks weren't listening. Yeah. Uh, and now as a consultant, like that's what I care about. Whatever we build, that person at the end of the line, you need to make sure that you're enabling them first uh, because they're your first point of feedback. They're the first point of contact for anybody that comes into the company. And like that SDR experience, I don't think I'd be where I am today if it wasn't for that. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. I've been there too. And, and sometimes 
when you're at SDR, it's like screaming at a wall, right? Because yeah. you're like, <laughs> yeah. nothing you guys are making sense. And then people yeah. in the upline are just looking at you like you don't know what you're talking about. But essentially, because the SDRs are the end user, right, of the of the yeah. processes in the in the software, you should be taking their feedback. So I can imagine because you wore all these different hats, like when you're dealing with clients or dealing with people that are under you, yeah, uh, you're more open minded to I try to, to be. What what they're you try to be, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> what they're coming to you with, man, because you've been there, you've you've done that. So how do you think your experience has shaped your leadership style? Yeah, I think I just, you know, I've dealt with a lot of leaders that they showed me what not to do. Okay. Let's just say that, you know, I think a, a lot of the, my learnings was looking up the management line and saying, like, if I was in charge, I think I'd be running this a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, and so now I can actually bring that experience and I know what not to do because I've seen it and I've seen like how difficult and, and soul crushing it can be when you're an SDR and the leadership, you know, doesn't understand how to enable your success. Uh, and so, you know, all of our successes are linked. The, the SDR wins, so does the manager, so does the director, the CEO, the board. And so now I'm like really focused on how do we align all those goals together? Like in school, I studied economics. You know, they talk about having your incentives aligned. And that's what I'm focused on most of all. It's like, how do we get sales, marketing, success, product, finance, everyone at all levels going towards the same exact goal in the same direction. So how, how have you been able to do that? Because that's not always the easiest thing to do. Because yeah. especially when you're dealing with different departments, you know, everybody has something that they're on their own trying to accomplish. So how do you yeah. bring it all together to achieve one thing? Yeah, I think the, the, the best way to put it is just spell it out, you know, be very explicit with what you're trying to get done. You know, I think the simplest version of that is, you know, the old marketing versus sales debate. Marketing is generating leads, sales wants opportunities, okay? Uh, so maybe we shouldn't be paying marketing for leads. Maybe we should be paying marketing based on how many opportunities they're generating. Uh, and that can be scary for marketing because, you know, it's easier to generate leads than it is to generate opportunities. But if you spell out for them, why that's important to the to the company as a whole and show them, yeah, you maybe got $5 a lead, we'll give you 500 per opportunity. Now you're starting to align those incentives. You know, you're paying, you're putting your money where your mouth is and you're saying the activity and the results that I want, you're gonna get paid for it. You're gonna get recognition for. Uh, and the reason that we want is because it's important to this team, this team and this team. Uh, and so like, you really just have to first listen to them like, I think that's number one is like, you know, act with empathy and try to understand, you know, why their goals are important to them and what their understanding of the whole organization is. Uh, and then you can build a plan that makes not everybody optimally happy, but, the, you know, the key of compromise is we all give up a little bit to get to a better collective. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think a lot of leaders fail short on internal selling. Yeah, because, yeah. Because you have to, you know, you have to be able to sell your vision. I remember, um, I'm fortunate, fortunate enough, um, the company I'm in now, we're a bigger company, but when I started, we was a really small company. Yeah. So I had direct reach for the CEO, right? So I'd be like, hey, we need this software or this platform. Uh, and I had to learn quick that learning how to sell internally is just as important as it is externally when you're a leader. 100%. Uh, 
you know, what ways have you been able to do that? And what taught you to do that? Like, was it a lot of mistakes that you made in the past or did it come naturally? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Cause I know I've made some mistakes, um, you know, so, so yeah. tell me, tell me how you got to the point where you're, you're good at it. Um, you know, what tips you would give other leaders about internal self? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it comes with experience, you know, as, as much as I'm talking about how I love empathy and understand all these things, you know, when I first started consulting, I was still kind of yelling at the reps, right? You know, put your data in the right way, uh, use this extension, use this thing. And we got a few months into a, a couple engagements and the behavior wasn't changing. You know, the behavior that we were brought in to change wasn't changing. And I was like, I don't understand. Like I'm giving you resources and I'm just, I'm giving, giving, giving. And then it was just as simple as someone on their sales team was like, I just don't like using Salesforce. And as soon as I heard that, it clicked. I was like, okay, well, we have an outreach extension. Uh, we can get you a VA because the pipeline that you have is really important to us. We can simplify things in Salesforce uh, so that it's easier for you to input these things. And then at the end of the day, the behavior changed. So it literally was somebody raising their hand and being like, please listen to me. And I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I've been there to this person. Like, yeah. And then ever since then, I've gone in with that mindset of like everyone involved has to be at least relatively happy, or else we're gonna have a chink in the armor. We're gonna have a chain that is loose in the in the link. So it's like that that's the way I think about it now. Yeah, it it, it is hard, man, because you know, I do consulting too, and when you're trying to sell your vision to somebody, especially somebody that's used to doing something the way they've been doing it for a while, even though it's not yep. working. It's, it's hard to change them and, and leading with empathy generally works, right? Like feeling yeah. what they feel and not just speaking over them, but kind of like, hey, this is the reason why I'm asking you to do the way, the things I'm asking you to do that generally yeah. works. I, I think the other question I have for you, man, so, you know, you're, you're the president of a growing company and, yeah. you know, one of the hardest things for any company uh, is culture, building that culture. So, yeah. Yeah. So what steps have you took? to to build the right culture for your company because i know uh the company that i'm working at uh when we first started it was kind of hard to kind of define what our culture really is uh, so yeah. have you guys do you guys have that cemented or is it still a work in progress over there yeah it's, it's i think it's always a work in progress like it, it, i don't think you're ever done working on your culture and you know Early on in our existence, we put together a Word document that said, this is what's important to us and yeah. our values. And you know, I'll be honest with you, none of us have gone back and read that <laughs> document <laughs> since it, it was made. Uh, but we also, we just try to, and you know, you're know, you going to hear me say this a lot, it comes right back to empathy. Um, you know, and, and understanding that the goal is more important than the optics, right? Yeah. Like w when I was in SDR, even if I was hitting quota, you better not find me at the ping pong table. Uh, you know, you better not find me standing around other people's desks talking to them, even if my performance was the highest in the company at that time. And so now that I'm running a company, you know, someone tells me they're taking a Wednesday off. That's fine with me. You don't even have to tell me why. Mm -hmm. What you do have to do is get the job done in the time frame that you said it was going to get done. Uh, so if you said something's coming out on Friday, you could take Monday through Thursday off as long as that thing comes in on Friday and it is on point. Uh, and that's really what's most important uh, and, and not just the appearance of, 
we're all working hard, we're all being productive. And so that's kind of the culture we've tried to build is one that, you know, the work fits into your life. It's not the other way around. You know, I don't want you missing baby showers to deliver a project for me because then you're not happy. And, and if you're not happy, you're not gonna be fulfilled. And if you're not fulfilled, your work product is going to suffer. Like, I think it's good business to meet people where they're at and kind of give them room to be productive, like in their own space and in their own like way of working. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think another part of that is hiring the right people to fit that culture because yeah, not everyone's going to be able to do that. Cause I, I kind of have the same leadership style as you. I don't care what you do as long as you get the job done. Exactly. Like, you know, you, you can go for a hike. I don't care. As long as what yeah. I ask you to get done, go ahead. <laughs> But again, it's about hiring the right people because people talk about it when you're interviewing them. Oh, you know, I'm a self-starter. and Yep. But then, you know, you give them this leeway, like do what you want. And then projects are uh, coming late or they're coming on time. And it's just not up, yeah. you know, up, up to the, the example that you, you want it to be. It's halfway done. No effort was put into it. So, you know, what are some things that you're looking for when you're bringing people onto your team to kind of fit that culture? That is a great question. And man, I don't think I don't think we've figured it out yet. You know, we've we've had a lot of consultants churn. Uh, and just to look into our business model, we're mostly 1099 contractors right mm -hmm. now. Um, so we've had a lot of contractors churn just because they weren't acting professionally. And, and when I say professionally, I don't mean, you know, the way they dress or the words, you know, the jargon that they use on calls, but I mean, work not being done on time and work not being done adequately. That's what I consider professional. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've had to have a lot of really tough conversations and take people off projects because they're, they're representing our brand, right? And, you know, we're trying to prove our return on investment to our clients. And, you know, if we say we've switched three consultants out because they weren't working well, you know, then that's on us. Uh, and so we've gotten better at, just technically like analyzing people, you know, you want to work on HubSpot. Okay. If someone asks you to do lead scoring, how would you do that? You know, and, and walking that, having them walk us through how they would run a project uh, and then judging them based on that, how close that is to the way that we've seen it successful. Uh, but other than that, man, like, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, is it talking to former employers? I think that can be really hazy because, you know, if they might say great words just to get them out of the company, or they might say bad words just because they don't like them personally, or they have a bias. Um, so I, I think it's really just, you know, is this somebody that I vibe with personally? Like, are our conversations pleasant? Do they have a history of success, like in the thing that I'm trying to hire them for? Uh, and do they at least seem coachable? Because you won't know until they're actually in the role. Uh, but mm -hmm. have they demonstrated in their career that when they hit a roadblock or something that they didn't know how to do or a mistake that they made, that they grew from it? And they, you know, the next time they tried that same thing, they did better. But, you know, I, I ramble on a little bit because we're still figuring this out. Like, if we're not sure, you know, of the right way to evaluate for culture yet. Uh, and, and hopefully like we do because we're going to need to hire some new people soon, but yeah, I, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. It's, it's hard, especially when dealing with consultants, right? Because yeah. it, it seems like it's weird to me. It seems like when people are actually like full-time employees. They take more ownership of stuff. Yes. Uh, I think it's because they get that hourly. Right. But I think what's worked in, in the past for me um, is dealing with people that's 
entrepreneurial in spirit. Mm. Because they're That's used to being se- they're used to being self starters and they take yeah. ownership and they understand that as a ten ninety nine you are a business owner right you you yeah. you you get what you put into it so I think that that's one route so I'm gonna talk to you about something that's not not fun to talk about like what mistakes have you made though like when going after consultants what what yeah. things have you done that you like what was I thinking right like what what are those yeah. things that you you've you've had to go through yeah we we have had we have put people on projects too fast i think that's our our biggest mistake early on is you know a a client comes in and you know it was the two of us me and my co-founder kevin lewis when we started and we were doing all the project work and so if one project came in above our 40 to 50 hour limit Mm -hmm. we didn't have anybody for it and so it became a, a sprint of like going on Upwork, jumping into communities. Who knows active campaign? We need an active campaign <laughs> specialist today. <laughs> like, and then we've, we've just started up. People have asked us for um, down payment, so pay ahead of time for hours. And then 10 hours later of, of not work done, they don't show up anymore. So we've, we've paid people ahead of time, which has been a mistake. We've put people on projects too fast, which has been a mistake. But I think like our, our biggest error and, and I think this is for every founder out there is we are the bottlenecks to our own growth right now. Uh, the biggest thing holding us back is myself and my co-founder because we want things done a certain way. We do mm-hmm. things at our own pace uh, and we're not into that 80 hour work week lifestyle. You know, at a certain point, we both know when to sit back and realize that you know, I cannot dedicate every inch and fiber of my being to this one thing for the sake of my sanity. Uh, but that being said, maybe if we did that, we have twice as much revenue as we had today, or we would have enough runway that we could hire someone else to to bring it, come in. Uh, so I think that's really the the big roadblock for us is like, how do we get out of our own way and and set things up in a way that we could bring in a new hire and they don't have to, you know, fitful uh they don't have to figure it the f out uh they have like a set list of like this is how we do things this is what you're going to be doing for us be creative in that space but you're not building the whole thing yourself i think that that's really our biggest mistake right now and i think for leaders man being able to self-reflect is one of the hardest things to do yeah like right because as a leader from the outside looking in you're supposed to have everything together you're supposed to know everything Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's sometimes you drink your, that, that Kool-Aid, right? Like I, I yeah. know best. So uh, what was the point that you and your co-founder kind of looked at each other and was just like, it's us. Like, what was that point? Yeah, it was it was a it was a few calls we had with I don't want to say competitors because mm. we can work with all these businesses. You know, we yeah. could take different pieces of the pie. But the Carabiner Group is one that it, where that's an aspirational brand for us. We talked to the folks over there, and they just opened their doors. They were like, "This is how we run our business," and we were like, "Holy shit, <laughs> we have <laughs> so much to learn, <laughs> so much to do, and we're in our own way." Uh, and it was a combination of that, and you know, I just love talking to other consulting leaders mm-hmm. because you know we're all in the same space. None of us do everything. Every project we're on is an opportunity to bring another consultant in. And so just comparing business models uh, and growth rates, you know, it made us realize that we could be growing a lot faster 
Uh, and then two, we were undercharging a lot early on uh, yeah, because we were both, you know, two young black men, you know, got fired from their last jobs, like trying to figure it out. And during a COVID world, we were like upward freelancers. And, you know, we were charging half of what the market rate is for twice as much work, work as right. what our competitors were doing. And so just being able to compare to other brands that we want to be like has been eye-opening. And, you know, ever since then, we've settled on a business model. Uh, our you know, run rate is way up. Uh, we're you know, making a lot more money on every project and we're still delivering that high level of value. Uh, and it was as simple as just changing a number on a contract. You know, I'll yeah. never forget the first time, you know, we changed a five to a 10 and nobody flinched like that's a crazy feeling right yeah, yeah. Well, everyone's like oh yeah that makes sense that's a fair price and we're like oh oh okay <laughs> you're like we could have been doing this so yeah, let me ask we you this double that <laughs> do, you, do you think and this might sound like a weird question do you think some of that undercharging had to do with imposter syndrome right two black 100 that just got fired from their last job it was yeah. was part of you because i know uh when i first started consulting it, it was like why would they listen to me yeah part of it like right so was was summer that imposter syndrome 100 percent, and that's followed me around my whole career you know as an sdr i was the one black face you know <laughs> yellow face yellow in the face. room <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there, there wasn't anybody in the sales floor that was really like me um and when it come came time to talk to the ae team you know, that natural SDR to AE transition, I turned it down because I looked at the room full of AEs and I was like, you know, y'all vacation in the Hamptons. Uh, and I have never been to the Hamptons. To the Hamptons you know? yeah. yeah, you have parents in investment banking. Like I would be lucky to, to, to have that, that level of privilege. And so I didn't see anybody like myself doing the things that I wanted to do. Uh, and so that has held me back tremendously. And, and I think even when I started consulting, you know, I was at a larger company called Scaled. Uh, there, there was a really quick turnaround on how I got started there. Uh, within a week of interviewing, they had sent me on site to consult with a, a company. Uh, and I just remember I'm like up there with the PowerPoint, going through slides, looking at people that are older than me, more experienced than me. People have been in business their whole lives. And I'm telling them things that to me is fairly basic, but to them, help change their business. And so that feedback of, you know, being able to say like, this is how I would solve your problem and have somebody that you almost look up to and admire and respect say, that's a great idea. I haven't thought of it. Like that's how I've kind of gotten over it, but it, it's still there. Like it's still very much there. So I think, I think you had a gem there, right? And you might not have realized it, right? When you said yeah. it was up there and you're saying things to you that are really basic. Yeah. But to them, it's groundbreaking, right? And I, I've had moments like that too, but I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people that look like us, overthink yeah. things. They're yeah. like, this is so simple. Yeah, it's simple to you, Yeah. right? It's simple to you. It's not simple to the people that are hiring you for this problem. So, uh, you know, leaders out there, you got to remember, um, you're a leader for a reason. You're in that position for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, Sebastian, uh, you know, you, you can talk about it as well like how i know you never really got over it right because i i'm still not over it right yeah. at all how do you lead effectively with imposter syndrome like how do you do that yeah i mean personally it's i i 
the weight of not letting people down is heavier than the weight of imposter syndrome to me. So like, whereas before I was like, I could fail at any time because I'm not sure if I belong here. Now it's like, I can't fail. I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm working, I'm building a business. Like the proof is in the pudding, you know, a year ago, two years ago, if I compare what I do every day to back then miles ahead. Um, and so it, it really has just been looking back at the journey. Uh, and then also now, like I can't afford to have an imposter syndrome. Like I have to perform at a high level. I have to be the leader that I maybe a couple years ago didn't think I was capable of being. So it, it's a matter of need uh, and it's a matter of understanding how far I've come over this time. So it, is it one of those things where it's like, there's a saying, burn your boats, right? Like don't give yourself any option but to succeed, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Uh, so it's it, a little it, bit of that. <laughs> yeah, right, burn your boats. Like I have no option yeah. but to succeed. So yeah. do, I'm do not think, turning around. <laughs> right, exactly. If I burn my boats, I don't got an escape plan. So, yeah. you know, it, <laughs> is that, you think that's a good bit of advice like for other leaders? Like if you feel yourself feeling like doubtful, just give yourself another choice. Like I have to, it doesn't even have to be an actual thing where you like you cut off all the options. It could be a mental thing. Like you yeah. tell yourself, I have no choice but to succeed. Um, yeah. Because I know for me, that's kind of the way I went about it. Because, you know, if you don't do it that way, then you give yourself excuses. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You give yeah. yourself excuses and, and, and you never get anything done. Um, all right. So, you know, the question I like to ask everybody mm. is um, what were you looking for in a leader when you was coming up that you didn't get? Like, what was those things that you mm. were looking for in a leader, right? And that you didn't get? I think number one is just trust. Okay. Like trust that I am trying to get this job done just as much as you are. You know, I think it's really easy in the SDR world to lose that trust because our activity is on a big TV that everyone can see, you know, our performance is ranked and graded against every other rep at all times. And so, you know, if you slip for a day, someone could be knocking on your door, slacking you, pinging you and be like, you had a hundred calls yesterday. Yeah. 70 today. What's going on? You know, like that level of micromanagement never gelled well with me. Um, because we both know I'm trying to hit, for example, 15 opportunities every month. Mm -hmm. We both know that. And we have known that the entire time I've been a salesperson. So like, why are you now telling me about a call change from a Monday to a Tuesday, which I already have a good reason for, but if you trusted me, we wouldn't even have this conversation. conversation you would exactly. just, yeah. We would talk at the end of the month when I hit quota and you would say, how'd you do that with so much less calls than everyone else? And so I think that the trust was was really lacking for me. Um, and I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, you know, I did see coworkers that had that trust that came from different backgrounds than I did, both professionally and personally. You know, people who worked at an investment bank before being an SDR, they're going to come in with a little bit more of that trust than me, yep. who was just straight out of college. You know, I had interned before. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's the number one thing I needed from a leader. And the second is um motivation through support you know i, I had one leader uh, and i quit this job immediately after he told me this i had a leader tell me that he didn't see fire from me anymore 
Um, and that might motivate some people like, oh, I'm going to prove him wrong. But for me, that instantly made me think this person's not invested in my success. Yep. You know, he's, he's pacing a bet on whether or not I'll fail and he's betting on the fail and he's hoping he's proven wrong. I'm like, no, I want to prove you right. You know, believe in me. Tell me I'm capable of these things, you know, smash that imposter syndrome with me and then watch as I grow. Uh, and I think that is the way you lead, not through like, oh, you suck, prove me wrong. Uh, you know, the, the football coach version of this, but actually like, I'm here with you. I understand what you need. Here's all the tools that you need. And I'm here to support you. I believe you can do this. I'd rather prove someone right than prove someone wrong. Absolutely. You know, and I think with that, right, because there's two types of leaders. There's ones that lead through fear and ones yep. that lead through respect. Yep. Um, and I, I, you know, I think with you, just by talking for these few minutes, you're the type of leader that would lead through respect versus fear. Because yeah. I know in my experience, fear doesn't work. That that's what it sounded like that leader was trying to do. It was through fear. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'm pretty sure when you're talking to your people, it's more of the respect uh avenue right versus the fear, right? Because the fear definitely. Really yeah. Um so what values do you use in leadership? Like if you had to pick four values, what values are important to you in being a leader? Huh. Um, it could be three if you don't have if you don't have four. But I mean, empathy comes to mind first. Empathy, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, I'd say vision. Like people have to understand what's coming next, and yeah. like as a leader, it's your job to put that path in front of them, or else somebody else will put a better path in front of them, and you can't blame them from going down that path. Uh, so you have to show them like here's where we're going and how you're a part of it. Uh, so empathy, vision, and then trust for that last one. Trust. Trust that you made the right decision by bringing these people in and that they're going to prove you right. Um, and then I say a bonus one. I can't think of the right word for it, but just like calm, I guess. You know, I think leaders can get so tied up in their goals and this stakeholder and it just be able to take a step back, breathe. You know, you're in this for a reason. And yeah, I guess it's confidence. You could call it confidence. confidence yeah, 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 yeah. Conf that, that That's important. Confidence because your team's going to feed off your energy. So if you're, yep. if you're sporadic and like, oh my God, they're going to do this. But I want to go back to vision, right? Vision yeah. is important. Oh, you know, one of the things I always say, you have to be able to uh, plan for today and tomorrow at the same time. Yep. Right. So uh, what tips would you give people, you know, to, to kind of clarify their vision for their, for themselves and their team? Yeah, um, I'd say it, you're selling the vision, first of all. Like, that's the first advice I would have is, like, remember that you are pitching your vision to everyone that can listen. You know, your investors, your board, your sales team, your new hires, the general market. Like, remember that this has to be buttoned up. You know, you have to – it can't be like, oh, maybe we'll do this and we'll probably figure this out later. Like, it has to be – a clear and actionable vision. So first things first, make it clear, make it sellable. Uh, and then after that, I would say, be open and flexible to feedback because your strict version of your vision might not fit in with everybody else's ideas. And so be open to tinkering with your vision a little bit 
so that you can come out the other end with something that everyone is accepting and everyone is moving forward on. And that's so important in RevOps because, you know, we're linking marketing and sales and product and client success and finance and just we're trying to get them all in the same room. Uh, And so you can't work with one vision. You know, you're really just putting together multiple visions and then trying to put that under maybe what that company goal is or maybe what your industry is trying to do. Uh, And then just stick with it. Like once you have something that works, like be like, what's the word I'm looking for? Be consistent with it. Um, You know, yes, be flexible with the vision, but don't change it every day. Uh, And understand that like you're going for this North Star, this true goal. uh, And you might change the way you get there um, along the way with everybody else's input, but you still have that number one, like ideal version of this in mind. I'm glad you clarified that though, because yeah. uh, people mistake flexibility with changing, right? Yeah. Because your vision is like the goal you're trying to get to. Flexibility is the way you get there, right? Yeah. Like you can exactly you can change the path to there, but it's still there. Um, and I think leaders get that confused sometimes, right? It's not yeah. being flexible if you're changing the goal. Yeah, you know, every month, every three weeks, like you've probably worked for companies with companies that their sales sales goal literally literally changes every single yep. month. And it's just like <laughs> <laughs> there's no way for their team to really get a grasp of anything, right? So, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that. So the other the other one, empathy. Right? Yeah. So it is really hard for a lot of leaders to be empathetic and still hold people accountable. Right. Oh. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard. And I, I know sometimes I still struggle with it. Um, and I know at the beginning of, of me becoming a leader it was really hard for me. Yeah. How have you been able to overcome that? Uh, I'm not sure if I have yet. You know, I think that's another one that you're just always working on it. Like always. Um, I don't think there's a set methodology or, or way of thinking about it that I've seen as best. It's just a, a push and pull every day. Um, I think a, a good example of this is that kind of that example I gave earlier with the consultant. Um, you know, we were, we needed an active campaign consultant in a week. You know, we found someone, it was a black woman. We were excited to, you know, give another opportunity to a, a black person in sales. Uh, she asked for payment up front. I was like, okay, maybe she got burned before. I'll give her the payment up front. Then she started following up less and less. Then all of a sudden she disappeared off the off the face of the earth, pretty much. And so I think the business owner in me was like, "I'm coming for that check, you know. I'm putting her to collections. Yeah. I'm chasing her down." Uh, but the empathetic person in me was like, "She's not a good fit, you know. Cut your losses. Like you don't have to be vindictive about it. You know, this is business. Like you you lost that deal, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like understand that, <laughs> like." That something happened but i don't have to be upset emotional about it like you know and in the future we're not paying a down payment for consulting services you know and like yes we'll be empathetic to those that have been screwed over by consulting agencies in the past and we'll work something out in the middle but we had to change a policy because we came too far on the empathetic side and not far enough on the holding people accountable side. Uh, and then aside from that, I would say document it all, everything. You know, if, if something goes wrong on a Monday, write an email saying, 
I didn't like the way this went. This is why. And this is how I'd like you to do it differently. If the same thing happens on a Wednesday, do the same thing again. And if it happens again on a Friday, now you have three documented cases where something was asked for. It wasn't done on time. It wasn't done right. You know, going back to the conversation of professionalism, that's, I think, when the accountability comes in. It's like we're not getting the professional outcomes out of you that we are compensating you for. This is a business relationship. The same way our clients can fire us if we don't get the job done, we have the leverage to fire you if you don't get the job done. And of course, be understanding, like someone misses a project because their mother died, like give them that space, like don't put the pressure on them. But if they're giving excuses, uh, you don't really know where they're at, and they're missing the target over and over again, I think you're totally justified in making that move. Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard for a lot of leaders to, to really, and I love your answers, right? Because it's practical, right? And I think a lot of leaders, because you know, as a leader, you get pressure from above. Yeah. Why is this happening, right? Yeah. It's not happening fast enough. Yeah. So then you feel pressure. And I think what a lot of leaders do is they allow that pressure to reflect how they talk to their team and how they yep. interact with their team and how they how they lead their team. Right. It's it, they allow that negative energy to flow where we're kind of supposed to be the filter. Right. It's yep. like that negative energy. And we got to spin it in a way that is understanding. And one of the things that Nikki Ivy told me, um, you, pr- you probably mm. know Nikki, right? Nikki's Love amazing. Nikki. Yeah. yeah. She said, uh, you can show your empathy, empathy through accountability. Right, because huh. if, if there's a rep, especially a sales rep, that is not doing what they're supposed to do, the yeah. way you show empathy for this situation is holding them accountable so they reach their their potential. Huh. When she said that, I was like, that makes sense, right? Yeah, like, that's interesting. You, you want to, them to achieve. Like, you really care about their success, right? So being empathetic to them is making them achieve what they can achieve. Yeah. Once she said that, I was like, oh, okay. It makes sense now. Yeah. I like that. Right? Because it's like we're taught, you know, holding people accountable is like a bad, scary thing. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. If you have that rep that you know has the potential to be the number one SDR in the company, and they're not, right? Show yeah. them how. Be that leader that, that has empathy and understanding, but push them to be great. And that's yeah. how you show true empathy for this situation. And I was like, oh, Okay. That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, that's why Nikki's Nikki, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, so an- another another question um, that I had from you was, did your leadership start with a title or did it come before that? Right? So what I mean is yeah. when you was an SDR. Yeah. Was you showing glimmers of leadership then? Like, was you trying to help other SDRs and help people? Or did your yeah. sense of leadership come with the title? Uh, I think the, the recognition of my leadership came with a title. Okay. But like you said, I was, a, I was very much a player coach when I was an SDR. So I was interviewing new SDRs. I had a big part of onboarding. I co-authored the first playbook that we ever used at my first job. Uh, you know, at a certain point, they gave me direct reports, uh, and I wasn't being compensated as a manager, but I would have been fired if they didn't improve their performance. So, uh, you know, I, I got no taken weird. advantage of early yeah. on because I wanted all that. I was like, let me manage the CRM. Let me do this report. Let me work on this content with you because I was just so interested in 
how we could all come from different walks of life, uh, be different people, and then we're still all selling the same thing in the same process. And so I wanted to make sure that all of us were always doing the best version of sales for this company. Uh, and so that's kind of how I started to dip into sales management, operations, enablement, uh, because, you know, for me, humble brag, I was always getting quota. And so I had some extra Jeez. time and I wanted, to, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to make sure everyone else could too. You know, I would hand off the little softballs to the new hires like, oh, these two I talked to, you know, three months ago, they said they come back around. I'm a transfer ownership to you because I want you to succeed. So I, it was just a part of me this whole time. You know, I, I think, you know, this is, I think uh, Nikki actually mentioned this to me too, uh, which is like, as we climb, we're also raising, you know, we're pulling people up with us as we're climbing. And I just take that mindset wherever I go. That, that, that's awesome, man. And I, I can see that in you because what I notice about you too, still to this day is like, you're always on LinkedIn giving tips, tricks, like you're, you're trying yeah. to help people from afar and a lot of people that get into leadership positions, they stop doing that. Like they, they, yeah. they're so focused on achieving what they got to achieve that they don't reach back. So an, another question that's in that same vein, why is that important to you to continue to do that? Like, why, why do you still reach out? Because I seen on your profile, you basically said, and I'm summarizing that you're, you're really reachable. And even if it's not for business or no business could be had just to talk, yeah. right? So like, yeah. why is that important? Especially with somebody that's like a co-founder or president to be that reachable for everyone. Why is that important for you? Yeah. Oh, well, for one, I believe it always comes back around. You know, I think the, the value you put out, it might be not be a deal tomorrow, but something's going to come back around. Uh, and like the, the long tail marketing version of that answer is like, Every SDR I put in a job today is going to be a manager, a business owner, or a director in a few years. And, you know, those are the partners that I'm going to be working with in a few years. So it's in my best interest to help them and give them a good experience. Uh, but I, aside from that, like, I wouldn't be where I am today without mentorship. You know, like my, my very first sales manager, Chris Flores, we're still very close. You know, he sent us one of our first deals when we started consulting. Uh, so I, I needed that person in the room that valued my success so much that they would like put their effort into helping me grow. Uh, and then separately, like when we started consulting and, you know, you might put this on, you know, the summer of Black Lives Matter, but everybody was open to talking to us. Every sales leader, RevOps leader, you know, Richard Harris, Scott Lee. Jake Dunlap, even our old boss, we would just come to them and be like, hey, we're two black founders. We want to know how to do this better. And they would talk to us and share their time with us. We wouldn't pay them for this. Uh, but they would just say, like, I'm going to get on the phone and help you out. And it was so valuable to me that I feel like it's only right for me to do the same now that I'm in this leadership position. That, that's... That's awesome, bro. And and I commend you to it for it because I, I like I go on LinkedIn, I see I'm like, oh okay, I always learn something from you. So as as, as <laughs> I appreciate one it. for another, thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I, I definitely I definitely appreciate that. Trust me, trust me. Giving out free game. Um your last my last question, I don't want to hold you too long. Um what are some tips you would give to new up and coming leaders or people that are looking to get into leadership? Yeah, I would say join every community you can. You know, yes. Rev Genius, RevOps Co-op, Sales for the Culture, like 
that that's how we learn is through shared experience. I think that's the reason human beings are so technologically, emotionally, socially, et cetera, advanced beyond animals, because you can learn something here and you can share it with somebody who's going to build on it. They're going to share it with somebody who's going to build on it. And then by the time it comes back to you, it's its whole new own idea, methodology, whatever. So you find your tribe of people that are in the world that you're trying to get into and just stick yourselves to them. You know, learn from them as much as possible. Uh, and then understand that through those steps are where your opportunities are going to come from. You know, when that person that you've been quizzing about leadership has a leadership position open up, they already know you. They understand how dedicated you are to this. They're going to more likely to give you a shot than a cold application off the street. So find that community, that tribe, that niche, and just build yourself within that place. And leadership will follow. You know, it, that it'll come. That's the next step after those um, tactics. Sebastian, that was amazing. Thank you for sitting down and chatting with me, my man. I uh, hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem.